This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. And welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, and I'm joined now by Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washa. We got all four on. We've kind of fixed things here after our first show, and uh, it was a great first show. We, we got together last week, kind of broke down what happened in spring football. Got a lot of great response from you guys, the listeners, on HuskerOnline.com, on Twitter. Uh, happy to say you can now find the HuskerOnline.com on iTunes.com uh, to search out Husker Online. If you're not an iTunes guy, you can go to podbean.com. Just type podbean.huskeronline.com, and you can also uh, pull up our page there and download it. So a lot of ways to access the uh, the podcast uh, besides pulling it off our website here at huskeronline.com. But uh, let's get right into it, guys. Uh, we're going to talk some spring football here. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk basketball. We'll close the show once again and talk some recruiting. But uh, at the midway point here, spring football, Nebraska now seven practices in the books. Um, kind of y- yesterday was the day where the, the campfire, the kumbaya, that kind of ended. Uh, Alex Lewis returned back to Alex Lewis, and uh, there was a little bit of fire in practice yesterday. It was fun to see. Yeah, I, I personally really liked to see that too because, you know, I think at some point you want to see a little bit of nastiness out of guys. You know, like you said, it was a little bit too, uh, you know, friendly, everything is awesome, Lego movie type stuff. Uh, and I think just it's kind of seeing, you know, things get a little chippy. I mean, we're at the halfway point of spring ball and guys are in full pads. It was about 40 degrees colder than it was on Monday's practice. And so it was it was football weather. And I think the guys uh, responded and uh, to, to see that type of, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the fire, you know, on both sides, especially in the trenches on the offensive and defensive line, I think was a it was a good scene, and especially since it didn't get too far out of hand. And I liked it because this was where we kind of got to see Mike Riley and his element and kind of what he can bring to a team, I think. So much over these first couple of practices that we've watched, Riley has been kind of that CEO type, that overseer who lets his assistants kind of run practice. There will be, you know, large portions of practice you won't even notice him. But here in this case, after there were a couple little, you know, minor skirmishes, Riley brought the team together and, uh, you know, we couldn't hear what they were saying, but basically it looked like he was saying, all right, guys, I like the fire and everything, but we got to calm down a little bit, got to keep control of our emotions. And for the rest of practice, you didn't see anything happen. So I think he definitely has the respect of those players and and he knew when the right time was to step in and, and kind of let them know, okay, guys, I like the fire, I like the passion, now let's just tone it down one level. What I thought was funny was you had all these Husker Sports Network sponsors there, so you had about 100 100- guests and dignitaries there that donate a lot of money and advertise with Nebraska athletics. And that was the one practice they got to see. So uh, for those guys, uh, and I talked to a lot of them because we, we know a lot of these guys that were there, uh, they, they got to see at least a little bit of excitement yesterday. But yeah. Nate, it, it's it's not uncommon. I mean, this is practice. It's football. This is not a patty cake sport. It's not uncommon to see that kind of stuff. No, and, and these types of fights are going to happen all, all the time, you know, whether it be in spring ball, uh, fall camp, or even throughout the season. But, uh, you know, and I kind of liked it too because 
because uh, you know the O line was getting getting it handed to them pretty well yesterday, and and uh, and I like the fact that they finally said, hey, we're not just going to sit here and take it, uh, and they kind of made a stand, and, and you know things got a little chippy there, but uh, um, overall, I, I think you know it was to be expected. It was going to happen at some point in time. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan here, publisher of HuskerOnline.com, with the Rivals.com network. Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. We're going to be doing this every week here uh, from the uh, until you tell us you don't want to listen anymore. But we, we, the plan is uh, we're going to continue to do this podcast every week. Uh, we're really excited uh, to to do this, and um, let's segue now, guys, to offense. You know, offense uh, is kind of the big deal right now with with Mike Riley, Danny Langstorff, and. I'll be honest, when I've watched the quarterbacks and whatnot, there's a long ways to go. Um, Tommy Armstrong has had some moments, but Riker Fife, you can just tell guys like Fife, Johnny Stanton, um, they're swimming in it, as uh, Bo Pelini would always say. Um, They're just not comfortable yet, and, and that's to be expected. It's a whole new system. Yeah, and you know, I think the the, the post game interviews with Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf kind of said a lot. Like this was the first time you know Mike Riley really kind of voiced his you know quote unquote concern about kind of the progress of the offense. You know, he admitted that maybe they're throwing a little bit too much at these guys. You know, with the volume of plays they're trying to put in, and so I think uh, from you know here on out for the rest of spring they're going to scale things back, and I think the focus is going to be kind of perfecting what they have in. And, uh, you know, just try and get these guys some confidence to where, like, you know, like you said, I know people love that phrase, swimming in it so much on our board. <laughs> yeah, let's, 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 let's refrain yeah. from using that. Yes, how about we officially ban that from now on? Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, yeah, so I think that that's going to be kind of the goal here, you know, because I think the, the, the offensive coaches realize that, you know, that there's a point where you can only give these guys too much before they stop processing it. And so I think now it's just going to be kind of a, a perfecting, you know, just the, a couple things as opposed to trying to, you know, uh, you know, do a bunch of things okay. Yeah, and I, I think you have to factor in the defense as well, too. I mean, Nate kind of mentioned it already. The defensive line dominated the offensive line oh, no. yesterday. So these these quarterbacks weren't exactly looking at a lot of time. And I think when you look at Nebraska's secondary, I think that has the chance to be one of the strengths of this team, while a lot of these receivers outside of DeMorne Pearsonell and Jordan Westerkamp are kind of guys who – you know, have a lot of talent and have a lot of ability, but haven't shown that consistently yet. So you've got these quarterbacks who have been a little shaky, working with an offensive line that's not put together yet, working with receivers who aren't, you know, quite maybe on that level where they need to be quite yet. And that's going to be a little bit of a recipe for disaster. I'll kind of follow up on what Dan was saying with the defense. Uh, we can talk about this later when we start talking about the defense a little more. But uh, it's uh, it's hard to knock a quarterback for not sitting in the pocket going through his reads when you got Malik Collins barreling through the line on literally every single play. I mean, the guy could not be blocked uh, the other day in practice, and so that, that that makes life difficult for a guy. You know, not only trying to you know execute a new offense, but having having that monster charging at you. Yeah, I tweeted the other day something about you know Malik Collins simply cannot be blocked, and I had a couple people tweet back at me, and they're like. Like, well, duh. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. People are not blocking him at all. He's just going through whoever it is. He's knocking them on their butts. He's been far and away, I think, the most impressive player so far this spring. And I love when Dylan Utter decided to, to kind of start the practice fight. He waited till Malik Collins was out of there. <laughs> Smart yeah. move. Smart move. <laughs> That's a veteran move right there. 
<laughs> but Sean Callahan and uh, the HuskerOnline.com podcast here, where we're talking spring football, offensive storylines, and you know they haven't done a, a lot of live scrimmaging. You know, there really no tackling uh, that we've seen in the practices we've watched. So some of the positions, like running back, it's hard to get the true read, Nate, when you you look at what the running backs have done so far. Yeah, you know, it's hard to it's hard to tell exactly, you know, uh, where those guys stand or, or what they really bring to the table when they're not tackling. But uh, I think what we have seen is kind of an emergence of uh, Mikael Wilbon. Uh, you know, he's been taking the lion's share of the the you know reps with that top unit. Uh, Adam Taylor is another guy that that has looked uh, you know very well, uh, you know, from what we've seen, and and uh, you know he's been running with the twos and the threes. And Amani Cross, you know, the incoming senior, has been taking you know reps with that third unit, uh, some of the low, lower units so um you know running back still kind of a, a question mark but um you know those will bond and taylor uh, definitely have been standing out yeah you know Amani cross i think so many people just assumed he was going to be the main guy because of the experience factor and with bo polini before we were so accustomed from this seniority thing you're the next guy up you're the senior you're the veteran yada 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 well it's a clean slate and you can deceive and sense from Amani's body language he knows that it's it's not his job by any means yeah, the I think the the writing is on the wall for Amani that uh, you know he's got a couple of young guys there that have taken charge and and uh, you know can do some different things than what he can do physically. So uh, he's been kind of been tested so far this spring. And you also got to keep in uh, take into account the fact that we've seen him take some reps at fullback uh, in a couple, especially in that that two back pistol formation where they have uh, you know the running back lined up behind the the quarterback and the fullback right next to. The, the quarterback and the pistol and so I think that they're going to find ways to use him maybe not necessarily in that true eye back role but uh, you know get him maybe as more of that short yardage situational guy I'm not, I, I went back and kind of looked at some of Mike Riley's um, previous offenses at Oregon State he's not scared to put a freshman or a sophomore running back in there he's not just going to go by seniority if he thinks his best player is um, a freshman then the freshman's going to play if that's Mikhail Wilbon Mikhail Wilbon's going to play if it's Adam Taylor Zigbo. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, heck, it's it's really going to be the best guy, especially because he doesn't have any preconceived notions about these guys. You know, he doesn't have any any loyalty to Amani Cross, where he's been working with him for three or four years, like Bo Pelini and Tim Beck had. So, it's it's quite literally wide well, open. And let's face it, guys, when Amani Cross had his chance, you go back to the Illinois game when that was the worst rushing defense we've seen in the Big Ten since we've been Nebraska's been in the league. He couldn't get first downs you go to the Fresno State game Amani Cross had a chance to kind of put that game away and get first down after and they couldn't get first downs you go to the Purdue game Amir Abdullah gets hurt they go to Amani Cross and Newby uh, the offense finished with 280 yards in that game and they couldn't get first downs. so you know Amani has had plenty of chances and it's not for lack of reps uh, so he his opportunity in these next two weeks he ha he knows it he knows that he has to step it up if he wants to kind of put a lock on that job well, and yeah, it's not lack for effort either, either because uh, no one works harder than a guy like Monty Cross. But I just think that, uh, you know, there's certain things that he's limited at, you know, physically uh, that other guys on the roster, you know, can excel at. So uh, this, this spring is all about, you know, like Dan was saying, it's all uh, Mike Riley's not afraid to play those younger guys. And it's all about putting it on film. And so far, you know, what we've seen in Monty Cross, you know, kind of do at practice, I don't think boasts too well for him this fall. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett will be with you here every week here from here on out talking Husker football, basketball, baseball. Guys, let, let's move over now to the receiver tight ends. I'm just going to throw out a couple names. 
guys that have impressed us in our practice observations at those positions. Number one, Brandon Riley. Number two, uh, kind of a new name, uh, Luke McNitt. I think those have been two kind of surprise guys, besides the obvious Jordan Westerkamps and DeMornay Pearsonells. It seems like Brandon Riley has picked up right where he left off last offseason. You know, he was getting a lot of talk a year ago as that guy that could really factor in in that receiver rotation just because you know a lot of people don't give him credit for his athletic ability I mean he is extremely fast I think he, he matches up physically with any of those wideouts you know just just in terms of overall athleticism and the fact he's got really good hands you I look, Keith Williams goes he, he's faster than I thought he'd be yeah <laughs> like, he gets that a lot and you know obviously there might be a stigma for a walk-on you know kid from Lincoln that uh, you know nobody ever heard about or got any offers but he's he's proven his worth uh, on every single rep and I think he's establishing himself as a fixture in that receiver group well yeah unfortunately you see a lot of things with him where pretty much with any white wide receiver they've got they've got <laughs> what was that, I gonna say the <laughs> elephant in the room they, they've got that sneaky speed or something like that I've seen several references to it on our board oh, so yeah. I mean it it's out there we all know it um but yeah Brandon Riley's played great so far and he's shown great hands I think we've seen a lot of drop passes from certain guys as they're kind of figuring out uh you know how their routes are going to be run and stuff Brandon Riley's been pretty sure-handed and that stood out um, Sean, the other guy you mentioned, Luke McNitt, I, I've been pretty impressed with him. Nebraska's you know, uh, depth at tight end has not been great the last couple of years. Of course, they haven't been using him for whatever reason. But Seathan Carter is obviously a very good prospect. Beyond that, you know, I'm not sure if Nebraska – Sam Cotton or – Yeah, Sam Cotton, Trey Foster, you know, Jared Bloom's been hurt. I'm, I'm not sure Nebraska really knows what it has in those guys. And Luke McNitt, he's obviously going to take some time to work back into the position as he played quarterback at Kearney last – or. Yes, last year. Two years ago, yeah. Two years ago, sorry. Started quarterback. But he's a great athlete, and he's a guy who we've seen make some really nice catches. You know, maybe he'll need some time to get that blocking down, but I think, you know, if he's able to get on the field, he can at least provide some threat as a receiver. I'll do two other guys for you, Nate. Glenn Irons, Jariah Tolbert. Yeah, both those guys uh, come from the same high school out of Edna Carr uh, down in New Orleans. Uh, redshirted last year and, uh, you know, have really, you know, taken advantage of the opportunity. And, and it's fun to watch their relationship with Keith Williams. You know, Keith Williams coming from Tulane, uh, he knows these guys very well. He recruited them at Tulane. Uh, he, he coached them at their at Tulane summer camp. So he has a, an, an established relationship with these guys. And you can tell that he's kind of has a vested, you know, interest in, in wanting to see these guys succeed. And uh, they've really taken advantage of the opportunities so far. Well, and Keith Williams said when he first got here, those were the first two guys to seek him out, and they had lunch together the very first day. And you can just tell that he was really rooting for these guys. Um, and you don't know how it went their first year, but you have to think two New Orleans kids like that were probably a little homesick at times. So it's nice to have maybe that mentor guy that, that is in their corner that seems to really be rooting for their success. And they flourished so far. I mean, they've looked good. It's not. It's not like uh, Keith Williams is playing favorites by any means. I mean, they've they've looked good. And and uh, uh, I think Jariah Tolbert could emerge as, as one of those you know uh, you know deeper threats, uh, bigger bodied guy out, out on the edge. And, and Glenn Irons, of course, could do all that fly sweep, um, you know, and, and make plays in space just like the Mornay personnel. And they don't have a lot of guys of Tolbert's build, like you said. I think he's got a real opportunity to establish himself as you know that that big bodied guy uh, that they they used to know only in the red zone situations, but, you know, in those third and third and medium. So I, I think he's got a great opportunity. If he keeps playing the way he has been, uh, he's got a chance to, to make an impact. All right, guys, hold your thoughts here. When we come back, we'll shift the conversation over to defense. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast.
Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. God, we're doing the Bo Pelini theme here, me against the world and everything else here. Bunker mentality, baby. Just going through my iTunes list and decided to pull out a little Tupac here. But we're back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. And uh, we'll talk defense here, but we didn't hit on the offensive line. And I wanted to play just one soundbite from the uh, legendary Mike Cavanaugh here. And, you know, Coach Cav, I think Nate and I, when we first met Cav, we're like, wow, Husker fans are going to love this guy. Uh, this is Mike Cavanaugh yesterday uh, talking about what he's looking for in the offensive line. This is from Wednesday's practice. There's starters maybe mixed with not starters. Yep. The groups are split up. There could be a guy that's out at tackle that could be a guard. We're going to get the five best guys that are tough holes. You know what I mean? God bless Cav. <laughs> that's great. You know, Cavanaugh, in, in, you watch these practices, guys, on the offensive line. Um, they're really just – mixing and matching yeah you don't notice like a starting group there's no ryan reeves there's no zach stirrup so it's kind of just a hodgepodge of bodies where like at kavanaugh said they're just trying to get the five toughest you know what guys out there and um it's still a work in progress yeah no doubt especially you know with the way they've been dividing teams like you mentioned you know not only those two but you know chongo and uh uh, Matt Finnan, you know, neither of those guys are working with the red team. And so to, to make any presumptions on, you know, who this first unit is, I think is, you know, pretty presumptuous just because uh, there's still a lot of more competition that needs to go on. And I think, you know, this next half of spring and especially on into fall camp is when you can really kind of maybe get some sort of idea of how this uh, front five is going to work. Yeah, I think the only guy I'd feel real comfortable, you know, saying is probably going to be a starter right now would be Alex Lewis at left tackle. Everybody else has kind of moved around. We've seen a lot of guys moving at different positions. Nick Gates, who I think has looked really good, he spent time at left guard and right tackle yesterday. Tanner Farmer has played both sides of the line. Dylan Utters played at guard and center. They're moving guys around. They're trying to find um, who fits where best, like you guys mentioned, so they can put the best combination of five guys out there because they're not sure what that is quite yet. Yeah, and Gerald Foster, too, in that mix. He's a guy that's been working on the white team, so we've, you know, you know, hardly ever get to see him, you know, working with that top group, too. And I think he just may be, you know, maybe the best out of that, that, Redford Richard freshman group too. If so. you're sticking on that tough guy theme, though, I think there's a few guys that jump out. Dylan Utter, um, I think he oh, kind of yeah. fits the uh, the Kavanaugh theme. You can tell he loves Nick Gates. That's another guy that Cav has talked a lot about uh, the two sessions that we've interviewed him. And then obviously Gerald Foster. Those three guys and Tanner Farmer, um, those young guys I think have a legitimate chance to make a push. But Givens Price, we know he's a player and and some of these other guys. It, it, without Stirrup and Reeves, it, it's hard though because I think those are veteran guys that have played and started in, in a lot of games and they're not out there right now. Yeah, and when you get a good feel for it during uh, one-on-ones too, about you know some of the the toughness that some of these guys have, and uh, a lot of those younger younger guys have have really stepped up in those one-on-one sessions, which can be pretty daunting when you're going against Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine in on the inside. But uh, um, you know some of those younger guys like Zach Hannon um, and Gerald Foster and and uh, you know Nick Gates have have held their own uh, for for the most part uh, with some of those guys in one-on-ones. But um, you know, like you guys have said, it's a 
work in progress, and they're going to continue to shuffle shuffle guys in and out until they find the best five. Yeah, that's another thing too. I mean, you got to keep in mind that the, the fact that the offensive line may be quote unquote struggling, you know, like they did uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Sorry, uh, I think you you don't put too much stock into that because there are going to be a lot of offensive lines Nebraska faces this year that are going to struggle with that front four. If and your so, offense is winning this early in spring, exactly, that's not a good sign. No. I mean, there have been very few springs at Nebraska where the offense wins early. It just doesn't happen. You know, the defense has the advantage usually most of the time, especially early on in a spring ball. Well, especially when, when you're installing a brand new, you know, offense and quarterbacks are, are trying to, you know, refine their technique and footwork, footwork, and, and they're working with a new set of receivers and a new set of offensive linemen in front of them. I mean, and, and for the most part, this defensive line, you know, they're all guys that are coming back. They're established and, and they're not just three NFL guys. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say they're not just good players. They're, they're great all conference, all American type guys. And I think Gangwish played on the 1990s team. <laughs> And just decided to bring God. him up. I mean, he's, he's the ultimate throwback. He's like a Terry Keneally throwback guy. Exactly. I mean, just uh, just a, just a guy that everyone's going to like. But yeah, let's move the focus over to the defense. And you know, I thought this was interesting. Josh Banderas this week. I'm going to play this bite here. He talked about just the scheme and why he's having more success. Just less thinking, less thinking, more playing. You know, you just play faster because you don't have to worry about you know if he goes this way, I do this. If he goes that way, I do that. It's just kind of more reactionary. And Banderas is a guy that, you know, he's had two years. He started about eight or nine games. Uh, and the coaches basically sat him down and said, hey, man, this is your job. Uh, you know, just kind of make it my own. You know, it's, it's my spot. It's my spot to keep. It's my spot to lose. So, you know, they, they kind of expect me to take it. And I you know, expect myself to, you know, fill into it and know the defense as best as possible. And, guys, you look at that linebacker spot, and, and there aren't a lot of backers. And for Josh Banderas right now, his backups at LB are Garrett Poppin and a handful of other walk-ons. He is the only scholarship guy repping at Mike linebacker. Michael Rose has been strictly on the weak side, and, and Marcus Newby has been on the strong side. And those have been kind of the starting three, and they've played well. I mean, I've been impressed with that group, and Banderas has looked probably the most comfortable he's looked since he's been at Nebraska. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty telling. I mean, you know, we saw two years ago, obviously he's a guy coming off an ACL injury, but Michael Rose Ivy was a guy who played very well um, at the end of the season two years ago. But when this new coaching staff came in, they handed that Mike spot to Josh Banderas, and they basically said, you know, we think you should be the guy here. We really want you to take command. Um, this is a chance for you to kind of make this defense your own. And so far he's done that. He's, you know, we've always known he's a very athletic guy. He's a guy who can really get to the ball, but – you know, kind of like you mentioned, Sean, I think he, he struggled a little bit um, to kind of pick up on some of those defensive schemes, spent too much time thinking. Now they're just saying, go get it, kid, and and he's done that so far. And not only with his performance, you know, on the field in practice, I think he's really kind of taking ownership of that leadership role. Uh, you know, obviously that's a, the maybe the quarterback of the defense, so to speak, maybe one of the most important uh, positions on the field, you know, when the defense is out there. And I, I think you couldn't ask for a better guy just mentally uh, that, that is really kind of, you know, like I said, taken a firm grasp of, you know, all the all the other responsibilities that go with them just, you know, going and finding the football tackle the football. So uh, I think that you, you see a swagger to him, a confidence to him that, uh, you know, we just haven't seen in previous years. And even Marcus Newby, Nate, he's a guy that we all knew. You watch the recruiting film, you're like, God, this guy plays like Mike Brown in high school. And he looks comfortable. I mean, I, I was impressed on Wednesday's practice. There was a screenplay that he diagnosed and just blew the play up. And that was the guy I watched coming out of Potomac, Potomac High School uh, in Maryland. Is that where he's from? Um, North yeah. Potomac? Yeah. 
No, that's that's, that's where the town. That's where yeah, that's where uh, Demorne personnel's from there. Um, well, I'm drawing a blank on Quincy Orchard. Quincy, yeah, Quincy, Quincy Orchard. Yeah, Quincy Orchard. Orchard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know Marcus Newby. Um, you know, you could see how far he's come in just the seven practices. You know, the first couple of practices, I felt like uh, you could really tell he was thinking an awful lot. And, you know, the past couple of practices, uh, he's making plays and is flying around. I, I think he's feeling more comfortable within the scheme. And, um, you know, and, and uh, athletically, you know, he's, he's, I mean, arguably the most athletic linebacker on Nebraska's squad. So uh, he's going to be able to, to make an impact as long as, you know, he gets it down mentally. And it's really interesting. Marcus Newby kind of talked about it the other day. You know, they, they've kind of started to put in some more of their nickel stuff, and this staff is certainly going to run nickel, but they're going to run a lot more base defense than I think the previous staff did. And uh, and Marcus mentioned that's going to match him up against wide receivers a lot more often. He's going to be covering tight ends. He's going to be covering slot receivers. And it's going to be interesting to see. He's a tremendous athlete. You know, watching him do that play-to-play -play is going to be something really to watch, I think, as this season goes on. And, you know, a couple other guys. David Santos has been out, but I expect him to, to get back in that mix. Uh, but Luke Gifford, you know, I was talking to a couple of the assistants on the side yesterday during practice, and uh, they said he's been a guy that has surprised. Uh, he did miss practice Wednesday, I believe. Uh, but he's been somebody I think you have to keep on that radar as well, as well as De Dedrick Young. Um, I think both these guys are, are going to have a shot to be on the field next year. Yeah, talking about Dedrick Young, uh, you talk about a guy taking full advantage of his opportunity. You know, he's one of the few early enrollees and uh, probably couldn't have picked a, a better situation to come in as a true freshman and really kind of get thrown into the fire and uh, really get a chance to not only learn but prove himself. And he's done just that. It, it seems like every guy you talk to, uh, talking about those linebackers after the, those first three, you know, the, he's one of the first guys they mentioned. And for you know a true freshman coming in a semester early to to get that type of praise and recognition from his teammates and coaches, I think says a lot about the future he has. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. We're talking defense. Let's move now to the back end. We've talked a lot of defensive line in the show, linebacker already. Uh, let's talk secondary. Uh, no surprise, Nathan Gary, really the quarterback back there, the, the smack talker. Uh, you wouldn't expect the Sioux Falls kid to kind of lead the way in smack talk, but uh, Gary had some pretty funny words for Jordan Westerkamp yesterday after Byerson Cockerell broke up a pass on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of seen Nate Gary's personality come out in practice before. He had one uh, classic moment last fall where he intercepted a pass and put it inside his jersey and was running around the field just screaming like a madman. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fun guy to watch, but obviously, you know, he, he's very serious too. And, I mean, this is this is a guy who was a second-team uh, All-Big Ten performer last year. He's got a chance to move up, I think, this season and potentially be a first-team guy. Yeah, we, we wrote about this earlier in the week and you know, one of the notebooks that, uh, you know, the comments made by Mark Banker about how, you know, he sought out Nate Geary, you know, even before they took over and had, you know, a few one-on-one -on -one meetings. And then, you know, they just had another one last week uh, to, you know, kind of go over one-on-one, -on -one, you know, just exactly what his responsibilities are supposed to be. And, uh, you know, the, I think the fact that Banker is just, you know, obviously challenging him uh, on every single rep in practice, if there's a play that he thinks that Nate Geary can make and he doesn't, he'll let him know. And, and Nate will be like, why are you on me so hard? Why, why, how could I make that play? Well, tell him because your name's Nate Geary and you're one of the best football players on this team. So uh, I think that uh, he is truly coming into his own, not only as one of the best players on this defense, but, you know, one of the, the top leaders as well. Yeah, Leroy Alexander, too. We, we, we talked a little bit about Nate here, but, you know, Leroy's back off the one-year suspension. He talked to reporters for the first time in over a year. And, and when that happened last year, guys, that was kind of 
out of left field, but you know he he took some sort of substance that uh, was obviously an illegal NCAA substance that forced him to sit out for an entire year. Uh, the last player I can remember that happened to was Jay Moore when Jay Moore was at Nebraska. He had to sit out one year as well, and Jay will talk about that now when he talks to players. And I think Leroy learned a lot from that. Uh, he was his stock was so high though. You know, it's interesting if. He would have played last year. Nate Gary may not have played that much. It would have been Leroy and Corey Cooper with Nate Gary kind of working in there. Or who knows, maybe Corey Cooper would have got sat behind uh, these guys. And I know Dan's shaking his head. Uh, but, you know, I think Leroy being back, uh, that's something that most people in the Big Ten, they don't even know who this guy is, but he could help Nebraska. Well, you remember his redshirt freshman year. I mean, he had a couple picks and uh, played game, in all yeah. 13 games with a start. And so he was a guy that was really uh, an up-and-comer. And, you know, that, that that's suspension last year I think you know really uh humbled him and put things into perspective for him you know I, I talked to him you know when he was visiting with reporters earlier this week and uh you know he kind of just uh you know took ownership you know it's like I made a mistake and you know from here on out I need to start making the right choices and that's exactly what Mike Riley told him you know he said uh you know there, there's a standard that you have to hold yourself to to play in this program and uh as long as you do that you know you have a great opportunity to be a great player here and I think Leroy sees that and is uh, willing to do uh everything necessary to put himself back in the good graces of the coaching staff yeah and uh at the same time though don't sleep on Kyron Williams I mean he is not gonna give up this position going away he made that very clear when talking to reporters the other day he said you know I, I love that Leroy's back obviously Nate Gary's entrenched in there but I'm not giving up a starting spot I'm gonna go for it and we got to see him in very limited doses last year I think he might have even played a little bit more at linebacker actually in games. punts yeah He's he's a really really athletic guy. He's kind of older for his age since he went to the um, Air the, Force. Yeah, the prep, prep school, school for a year. He's really really smart. I think he, you know, it, it's going to be tough for him. Obviously, you know, Nate Gary's got one spot. It's going to be very tough for him to beat out Leroy Alexander. But you know. If he gets a chance, that's a guy that can make an impact. Keep, I think. Keep Byerson Cockrell in mind too. He's a guy that's been working a lot, you know, with the quote unquote for top team on defense too. And uh, you know, I think in the nickel, he'll obviously be that nickel back, but uh, he's a guy that's going to push for a starting safety job as well. Now, Nate, there's three incoming guys that are already here: Avery Anderson, Eric Lee, Aaron Williams. And I'm going to ask you this because you know these kids better than anybody, really, even probably better than most of the new coaches do. Uh, from your recruiting relationships. What have you seen from these three guys? Do you think they could possibly play as freshmen, or is it too early to say at this point? Well, I mean, it's it's early at this point, but I, I think that uh, for sure Eric Williams and Aaron uh, – or I'm sorry, Aaron Williams and Eric Lee, you know, look like two guys that, that the coaching staff are – they're preparing them to, to not redshirt this fall. Um, you know, we've seen Eric Lee at that cornerback position uh, get, a, get a large amount of reps with kind of that second unit, and uh, Aaron Williams has seen a ton of reps with that second unit and even some with that, with that top unit, and he's making plays out there. And, and uh, uh, what I've seen out of these two guys is uh, – they, they appear to be very comfortable. They're not, they don't look like freshmen out there. They're processing information. They look comfortable um, and they're letting their athleticism shine through. And uh, both these guys appear, you know, to, to be able to, you know, make an impact this fall. And guys, before we wrap things up, a couple injury notes we haven't touched on in the secondary. Charles Jackson re-injured that knee. Gosh darn it, Charles, stay healthy. I mean, no this kidding. poor kid cannot stay healthy. 
uh, kind of Jamal Turner has been in that same boat for the last couple of years. And then Daniel Davey, another guy that's kind of battled injuries, uh, foot injury, ankle injury. Ankle, ankle sprain. Um, so Charles out for the spring. They expect him back, though, for fall camp. He's going to have some cleanup work done on that knee. Daniel, I believe, is he going to be back or is he out for the spring? They're, they're hoping to get him back for the after spring break, so for that second half of spring ball. So hopefully not too serious. So two key guys in the secondary. But uh, we've got to move the conversation over. We're going to talk basketball. We're going to talk baseball. Uh, that's next here on the Hustle. HuskerOnline.com podcast. And welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, Robin Washett. We're talking now Husker basketball and still some storylines to hit on. We don't want to short our basketball listeners here on the podcast. And, you know, Nebraska obviously done for the year. No NIT, no CBI, no CIT. Robin Watch, I'm probably glad about not covering any yeah. CBI games right now. And <laughs> the way Illinois played in the uh, NIT, man, um, I don't even know if a Big Ten team wants to be in the NIT right now. Yeah, unfortunately, this was a season that probably could have ended, you know, a month earlier than it did. But, uh, you know, I think it was for the, the better of the fans and the team alike to uh, – finally put this one to bed so what what is there going on right now robin obviously um the coaches are done but the recruiting period is still going on nebraska could potentially still add more guys to the recruiting class but technically there aren't any open scholarships but are there yeah as of right now they're full with their full uh or four scholarships available for the 2015 class but uh just recently they've been extending uh you know not only showing some interest but they just extended an offer which uh, I think if you connect the dots there, you don't offer a guy if you you know don't have a spot available. So uh, there's probably going to be some roster turnover here in the near future. And the, the guy they offered is a uh, kid out of uh, Romulus High School up in Michigan named Mike Edwards. Uh, he's a 6'10", 217-pound stretch four uh, that really kind of has blossomed over the past, of course this past season. You know, he, he came out of the summer playing AAU with just one offer from Akron. And so, I mean, the guy was on no one's radar. But uh, he went from averaging four points, four rebounds a game as a junior uh, to just exploding, uh, averaging about 22 points and 12 boards a game. And so uh, he made it a huge jump and immediately, as you would expect, has caught the eye of, uh, you know, some some high majors, you know, not only Nebraska, uh, but uh, Georgia just recently offered. And he's got some, uh, you know, kind of mid-major looks from you know some schools around the MAC. But uh, he's a guy that I think Nebraska is really high on at this point. And, you know, in fact, I asked him, you know, I said, well, congrats on your offer, but uh, I'm curious, you know, Nebraska is currently full with their 2015 class. So have they told you anything about that? And he said, yeah, he said, I was their only, I'll tell you the exact quote. He said, they told me I was their only offer. They only have one offer for 2015. And so I was the one. So that means they are, the coaching staff is obviously expecting at least one spot to open up uh, for 2015, and if all goes as planned, Mike Edwards could be that guy. Uh, they haven't officially scheduled a visit yet for an official visit, but uh, I think he's looking at that weekend of uh, March 28th, that Saturday, uh, because uh, from April 1st through the 9th, is the uh, NCAA quiet and dead recruiting periods. And then on the 13th is the start of the spring signing period. So uh, I think you'll probably see things move along here pretty quick over the next couple weeks, and uh, it could go from an offer to a visit to a possible commitment in a pretty short amount of time. Now, Edwards is a guy who you, you mentioned how big he was. He obviously gives Nebraska, or would give Nebraska, excuse me, some size, which is something they desperately need. You kind of mentioned that he's a stretch forward. He kind of helped them with that shooting because that's something else that even with the addition of Andrew 
Andrew White. Nebraska needs some more shooters out there. Yeah, he would. And it's it's funny because uh, I think the best way to maybe to describe him is uh, a Walter Pitchford type guy that likes to drive and attack the rim. And so, you know, obviously Pitchford uh, feels more comfortable at the three-point line. Well, Edwards is a guy that likes to utilize that mismatch of bringing big guys out into space and beating them off the dribble and attacking the rim. And I know that's something the coaching staff is trying to hammer home with Pitchford for the past two years now and uh, hasn't quite worked out that well. But uh, this is a guy that has that mentality that you know he, he he doesn't he doesn't mind you know banging in the in the low post and uh you know going attacking the rim and uh being the aggressor with the basketball so uh, i don't think he's quite the perimeter shooter that pitchford is but uh in terms of aggressiveness and you know being able to dribble drive uh, i think he's probably a significant upgrade this is the huskeronline.com podcast sean callahan robin washett dan hoppin we're talking husker basketball i'm trying to figure out doing some detective work here on who this open scholarship is going to be robin is it I mean, is the natural answer Petaway or you mentioned Pitchford? I mean, he's kind of a guy that just disappeared. You know, last year he was such a rhythm hot shooter. When he made the first three of the game, Nebraska was like undefeated and played well down the stretch. Well, they just didn't get that from Walter Pitchford. Um, and he just never looked like he was in rhythm. I mean, do you have an idea what direction this offer is for? What player could not be back next year at this point? Well, the, the easy, obvious answer is Petaway. Um, you know, I think there's you know been obviously a lot of speculation about you know him you know moving on after this year, and I, I think that that's probably the most likely scenario. You know, I think you can make an argument for uh, potentially throwing in some other guys, you know, like a Pitchford or a Nick Fuller or a Ty Webster or, uh, you know, pretty much anyone else on that team. But I, I, I think that uh, Petaway, you know, we'll see kind of how things shake out over the course of spring break because, you know, he's uh, going to head down to Texas this next week and really talk things over with his family. And, you know, obviously the, the situation with his mother's cancer is uh, going to play a huge, huge part in his decision. And so, uh, well, I think that the it, it seems likely that, you know, he's going to move on. You know, there's, a, there's still potential that things could change. And then, you know, they're going to have to figure out what to do with, the, you know, the offer they have on the table to, to Mike Edwards. And if there, there's going to be another spot opening up, if Petaway does decide to stay, uh, I don't necessarily feel comfortable speculating on anybody else just because I don't necessarily see it. I, you know, I think Pitchford's a guy that, um, you know, while he struggled, I think that they could certainly use his skill sets, you know, maybe not in the starting lineup, but uh, off the bench. You know, I thought over the, the towards the end of the season, he really thrived coming off the bench. There, there's just a lot of... I Thing, refocusing. I mean, it's kind of a comeback to earth now for Nebraska basketball. I think last year was two, was such a special year. This year, I think guys is expected that to happen again. It didn't happen. It, 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 not only did it not happen, it was a major step back. And I think for Tim Miles, we're going to find out just how good of a coach he and his staff are because obviously there needs to be some retooling, some refocusing, and, and that's what's going on as we speak. Well, he'll be the one that, first one to tell you that this this – 2015 class is kind of his make or break class because this is going to go a long way in dictating the success uh, he's going to have over the next couple of years and, and, and in general the, the future of the program so uh, they feel very confident about these guys ability to come in and make immediate impacts and uh, really give them the tools necessary uh, to play Tim Miles style of basketball you know obviously you're relying a lot on you know four true freshmen and a, and a transfer who hardly played at all at Kansas uh, to take you to that next level. But I think with the pieces they have coming back, you infuse these young guys coming in. I mean, on paper, it, it looks like it should be a significant upgrade from what they had to work with uh, this past season. Now, Robin, obviously this is something that could change um, depending on uh, what 
Terran Petway chooses to do. But when you talk about that 2015 class, everybody knows about Andrew White. Uh, people, you know, talk a lot about Ed Morrow and Glenn Watson, who are, you know, top 100 guys in the country. What about those other guys, Michael Jacobson and uh, and Jack McVeigh? Are those guys who could come in and have an instant impact, or are they guys who are looking maybe more down the road, maybe even looking at a redshirt year? Yeah, I think they're – I don't really think that you can guarantee a redshirt for any of these guys just because of the deficiencies uh, Nebraska has. And uh, you look at a guy like Jack McVeigh, uh, you know, he's still he's the one guy that still needs to sign this spring, and but I, I'm you know fully confident that that will happen. Uh, but he's a guy that's instant offense. You know, he's a six eight you know wing that uh, is just a score, natural score. You know, has a great perimeter shot, but and can do a lot. You know, driving you know off the dribble too. So uh, obviously, we saw Nebraska's offensive woes this past season. You can always find room for a guy with those skill sets. So uh, I have no doubt there he's going to come in and and play right away as a true freshman. And, you know, Michael Jacobson has been a guy that's kind of been overlooked, you know, since his commitment. You know, obviously he came in in the fall with uh, Morrow and uh, and uh, Watson. And obviously those guys deservingly, you know, as four-star prospects, got, got the, the bulk of the hype. But Jacobson's an interesting guy. You know, he's he's right around that 6'8", you know, 6'9", height range. And his dad's over seven foot. And so I think he's not done growing yet. And you look at it, you know, I, I think that if there's a best way to translate what he could become by the time he's done to anyone, it's Brandon Ubell. I keep, I've been saying this, you know, Ubell is, you know, 6'10", 235, 40-pound uh, guy that, you know, could shoot the three, but, you know, could do a lot of different things. And that really sums up Jacobson's game. You know, he's a versatile guy. Uh, he's stronger than people are going to give him credit for. Let's keep in mind, he was a Division One recruit at tight end. You know, he had an offer from Iowa State uh, to play football. And so he can hold his own on the boards. He's a natural rebounder uh, just from the, the few times I've been able to see him play. And he's got a good perimeter jump shot or, uh, yeah, jumper from, you know, that, that 15 to 20-foot range. So uh, I think that they'll find, especially with the, the – issues they have in the low post I think you can you can obviously find a spot for him in that rotation it's funny a guy like you Bell you, you took him for granted when he was here but Seriously. the last two years you'd kill to have a Brandon you Bell just that scrappy Big Ten Aaron White type guy that that could really help this team out but uh, before we wrap things up Robin just some brief thoughts a couple uh, we were all of us were at the the Boys State basketball tournament last week had a chance to, to watch a lot of games. I think I caught 10 games over two days. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I did. Um, my wife was probably not so happy that I took in 10 games because I was gone for the la- that whole time. But um, any guys jump out? We, we caught Omaha South, um, anyone from Creighton Prep, Norfolk, um, any of these teams uh, from the conversations you've had with other people, other sources, uh, what one or two guys, if you could narrow it down, maybe are on the radar that came out of that state basketball tournament? Well, we'll start with Johnny Trueblood, the preferred walk-on. Uh, he was a state champion with Elkhorn South, and uh, I think showed that you know he's you know he'll, he'll be a serviceable guy potentially off the bench that you know you can always take as a walk-on. So it was good to see him play well. Uh, you know, Aguirre Gal, uh, you know, obviously a little brother from Creighton Prep. He's a state champ as well. Uh, he's a guy that is certainly on Nebraska's radar. Uh, and, you know, they're going to continue to monitor him, especially over the course of this summer, uh, playing with that Omaha Elite uh, 16U team uh, with a Gwuka Rope. Uh, so that, that'll be a fun team to watch this summer. And then, uh, you know, Andy Kirkman 
from Clearwater Orchard. Uh, you know, he was a guy that his team uh, clear there unfortunately got bumped in the first uh, first round, but he played well. Didn't get a chance to see him play, but uh, had a pretty good game. And uh, you know, I think those are probably some of the main names. But there's a lot of other names in state that necessarily weren't playing in that state tournament that I think people are going to need to keep an eye on, especially in that 2017-18 class uh, with those Sudanese kids. Uh, you know, guys like Ayo uh, Akinwole, uh, Ed Chang, and Junup Char. Uh, I think those are those are some guys that uh, could potentially uh, emerge as legitimate uh, Division One talents by the time they're done. Now let me I'll chime in one thing here before we wrap up. Andy Kirkman is another guy that you mentioned from Clearwater Orchard. He's also I think debating on football or basketball. He's a guy that at six foot eight, two hundred and forty pounds, two hundred thirty pounds. Um, some football teams have shown some interest as well, and I, I did catch. Um, and uh, somebody from the coaching staff there from Clearwater Orchard this weekend at State, and uh, they said he's definitely interested in football or basketball, whatever direction things go. And he, he's a guy to keep on your radar, even though he's from a, a smaller school. But uh, when we, we come back, guys, we'll, we'll shift the focus over to Husker baseball as Dan Hoppen uh, will give us the latest on the Red Hot Huskers who now move into Big Ten play on a seven-game winning streak. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin. Now we're shifting the focus over to Husker baseball as they are on a bit of a winning streak, Dan, as Nebraska has won now seven in a row. And and what they're doing, what really they haven't done in a while, is they're taking care of these midweek games. And that was what really made the great teams at Nebraska what they were. They would obviously win a lot of conference weekend series and the non-conference they'd go on the road in those specialty weekend invites and win those. But when they would play these midweek games against the Northern Colorados, the Indiana States, they would take care of business and, and rarely lose. And that's what we're seeing right now is Nebraska has won seven in a row. They swept Florida Gulf Coast. They took two in a row from Northern Colorado. They took two in a row from Indiana State. Yeah, and, uh, you know, those, those three teams that you just mentioned, none of those teams are, you know, going to go to the College World Series or probably even make the postseason. I mean, they're not barn burners by any means, but they're wins. They're teams on your schedule that you have to go out, you have to beat them, and Nebraska's done that. They haven't always made it look – look pretty you look at these last two wins over indiana state a four to three and three to two those are close games but these are tough games to win you know darren Erstad, he kind of talked about this the other day and it was really interesting i never thought about this all that much anymore when you're playing a game you know on a tuesday afternoon that starts at 405 or a wednesday afternoon that starts at 135 i mean guys have class oh yeah and stuff so you've got kids he said they had several pitchers who weren't available for the first couple innings because they're running over from class um, you know, to get to the game. And then you've got guys who potentially have class after the game. So it's tough for these kids to come in and, you know, one minute you're in, in class, you know, grinding through, you know, a test or whatever. Then, you know, an hour later or so, you're supposed to be out on, in the ballpark playing. It's tough to change that mindset. And for Nebraska to be able to kind of flip that switch and win these games, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and they've done it. You know, they've grinded. But, you know, it's the difference when you win these games, Dan. It, it helps you, I think, get closer to that 40-win mark where I think if you drop some of these games, you kind of hover in that 32 to 35-win mark. But when you get these midweek wins, 
it just makes it that much easier to get to 40. And I think if you get to 40 or high 30s, it's pretty hard to be left out of the postseason, especially if you schedule like Nebraska schedules, you know, even in the midweek, they don't schedule a lot of chumps to come in here like IBE College of Business or something like Iowa did. <laughs> yeah, nice little shot there at the Hawkeyes, but oh, their schedule's pathetic. But I think something that's helped Nebraska out so much with these midweek games to this point in the year is that they've actually got guys who can come in and give them four or five innings you know, as a starting pitcher. The last couple of years, Erstad has just had to say, well, you know, he would basically go to a bullpen guy and say, hey, can you give me three innings? Can you give me two innings? And they'd have to go Johnny Holstaff. Well, in these last couple starts, we've seen Garrett King come out and have two impressive starts and, and Zach Engelkin have two impressive starts. They've both gone at least into the, uh, I believe, the fifth inning in both their starts. And with the way Nebraska's bullpen is going, that's huge. If you just give them a lead into those late innings, they can hold it. Yeah, Dan, you talked about that bullpen. I mean, maybe just kind of put in perspective how well they've been playing. I think uh, I saw the staff as a whole has about a 2.68 ERA, and they've allowed about four runs in the last 12 games. Just uh, how, how important has that been uh, just, just to the overall success? I mean, having that kind of Kansas City Royals formula of, you know, not only getting solid outings of your, of your pitching staff, but having a bullpen that you know when they come in, uh, it's almost game over. That's huge. I mean, that's big for the confidence of everyone, including the offense who, you know, they they don't feel like they have to be heroes because they know that their pitching is going to keep them in the game. And they're not quite to that Royals level yet. But you can you can kind of see, you know, the skeleton um, building of that. I mean, with a guy like Jeff Chestnut, who's been lights out in his last couple starts, Colton Howell pitched uh, three innings over these past four or five games. I don't know if a ball got hit out of the infield off of him. He was really good. Uh yeah, and you, you've got a guy in Jake Hoensey who's been out for a couple weeks with a forearm strain. They hope to get him back. He looks like he might be Nebraska's best reliever through his um, first two appearances. So the bullpen's been rock solid so far. And like you mentioned, just from a mindset standpoint, you know, Nebraska knows if they can get into the sixth or seventh inning with a lead, they feel really, really confident right now. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking baseball with Dan Hoppen, our Husker Online baseball expert slash beat writer. And, and Nebraska is moving now into the Big Ten. And um, as far as the conference goes, Dan, this is maybe the deepest we've seen the league since Nebraska has been in the league. I believe there's three ranked teams. Um, Illinois is ranked right now. Um, Maryland. Maryland's ranked. And then I believe um, Indiana's ranked after sweeping Cal State Fullerton this past weekend. Then you've got Nebraska, who's probably a top 35 team at this point in terms of the rankings goes. RPI-wise are still – you know some work to do and then Michigan State and Michigan are mm-hmm. both quality and speaking of Michigan they will be coming into Lincoln for a weekend series to open up Big Ten play so this is a a big weekend for Nebraska where they're seeing one of the top five or six teams here in the conference right away yeah I, st- I still certainly think that Nebraska at the end of the year they're going to be right up there in, in terms of the Big Ten um, I think you know it's going to be them Maryland and Illinois kind of fighting for those top three spots I think Nebraska's got a great shot to win it you know if they want to but it's not going to be as easy as it's been in past years. You know, there aren't a lot of Northwesterns or Penn States just hanging out there where you can go into a, a weekend series and just say, okay, we're pretty much guaranteed two wins here. You know, as long as we don't fall asleep at the wheel, we're getting a sweep. That's not quite as common anymore. This is a pretty good league. And I think, you know, Ohio State's another team that Ohio has a State, lot of talent. Ohio State, correct, you're right. You can, you can really, um, you know, if, if you don't come to play against some of these teams, they'll put a pounding on you and, and they'll make you earn it now. Um, and that's going to start this weekend against Michigan. You know, you look at them, they're 11-8 and eight overall. They're just 4-4 four and four on the road. You know, they don't really have a ton of impressive wins on the resume, but, but they're a good team. 
and they can do some impressive things. And you know, you you just you can't sleep on them. You know, in early pro projections, I mean, the Big Ten you would say is at least a three bid league right now, right? It's not. It a, certainly looks like it. Yes. You know, maybe four, but three. I don't think. I think for sure three, especially mm -hmm. with Indiana's sweep of Cal State Fullerton, the Hoosiers. I mean, you don't just sweep Cal State Fullerton. That that's pretty impressive. Um, so the Hoosiers, I think, are on that bubble now with just that, and that helps everyone's RPI. Yeah, I would certainly say, uh, you know, Nebraska, Illinois, and Maryland, I think, Those three. Are, are all pretty solid, um, unless one of them would collapse. They're probably all postseason teams. And, and yeah, you mentioned there's a couple other teams on the, on the periphery State. there. Ohio State, um, Indiana, certainly, you know, they're not the power that they've been the last couple of years, but they could very well get back there too. So this is a league that's ascending a little bit. In the Big Ten tournament, will be eight teams again this year, right? Mm -hmm. So they they start used to be a six team deal, but now they're going to do eight. It's in Minneapolis, and that's kind of what uh, if you're Nebraska, you're playing for a good seed now from here on out in, in that Big Ten tournament. But guys, uh, when we come back here on the podcast, we'll close out show number two here with some Husker recruiting talk. We'll bring Nate Klaus back here into the conversation. You're listening to the HOL podcast. <laughs> Back to the final segment of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Nate Klaus, Sean Callahan now closing out the show with some recruiting and a little robo-flow from our late 90s, early 2000s band, Pomeroy. It takes me right back to my early college days right here. The old Ranch Bowl days. Yep. <laughs> Welcome back here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Uh, we're going to close the show out here talking recruiting. Uh, Nebraska held, really, Nate, that, that junior day on Saturday. Um, you know, mostly in-state guys or probably five or four out-of-state guys, but some new offers came out of that event. Yeah, two new offers, uh, you know, of note uh, that really came out of the event. Uh, the big one was uh, to Jojo Doman, who's a 2016 linebacker out of uh, Colorado Springs, Pine Creek High School. Um, you know, and if that name, you know, if that high school sounds familiar, it's the same high school that Avery Anderson uh, came out of this past year. Um, you know, and Doman played with Avery Anderson, has won two state championships with Anderson, and was actually named the Defensive Player of the Year in the state of Colorado uh, last year. And uh, he also played on, you know, the same seven-on-seven -seven team with uh, Eric Lee and Avery Anderson that was coached by Brian Dawkins. Uh, you know, so this kid uh, has, has really, over the last month or so, really kind of blown up. Had been on Nebraska's radar for a while, p finally picked up that offer, and since Nebraska offered, he's also added Cal and Arizona State. So uh, he's a guy who's important because he's within that 500-mile radius, also linebacker, which they desperately need. Yeah, and you talk about top players in the 500-mile radius. He's probably easily the top linebacker in that 500-mile radius right now from what you've seen. At this point in time, yeah, I would say that yeah, there's no doubt that he's probably that, that top linebacker uh, within that area. And, um, and I think what Nebraska really likes about him is his versatility, his, his ability to cover. Uh, that's something that I think really set uh, him apart from a lot of other linebackers uh, because uh, he, he played safety in high school, has played some linebacker, but he has a tremendous coverage skills, which Nebraska really liked. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, we're talking Husker recruiting here in Nebraska at their junior day. And sticking with linebacker, Nate, uh, it, it always kind of moves the airwaves a little bit when a junior college offer gets made. Nebraska made a junior college linebacker offer this week as well. Yeah, Chris Backus out of uh, – 
uh, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M uh, Junior College uh, picked up an offer uh, from Nebraska on Wednesday. Uh, first junior college offer that has gone out uh, to a to a linebacker, and and I think it's significant not only because of the position, but uh, generally, I mean, this is an early offer to a JUCO, any JUCO. You know, if you're picking up offers this early in spring, uh, you know that uh, you know the the coaching staff has, has identified them as a, a definite guy that they want to get in uh, on on their campus and. Uh, Backus is, is a plays middle linebacker for NEO. Uh, ha, could play outside linebacker, uh, you know, on the next level. Uh, but uh, he'll end up being a two for two guy. Um, you know, uh, no red shirts. No red shirts. Uh, will be, uh, you know, hopefully uh, will graduate in December, be an early enrollee. Uh, but a two for two guy. Um, and again, kind of like clockwork after Nebraska offered. Uh, you know, they were his second offer uh, along with Arkansas State. All of a sudden, Arizona State. Come on, Arizona State. Yeah, Arizona State. Find your own guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Washington State you know, came in and, and offered uh, late last night as well. But yeah, Arizona State, you know, it's weird because they seem to be piggybacking off of uh, a lot of uh, the the new Husker offers that have been going out. It's sticking with the JUCO theme, Nate. At junior at practice this week, Iowa Western's coaching staff was there, and that was always something. You know, it was kind of why isn't Iowa Western involved more? Why aren't they around more? Well, their entire staff was at practice Wednesday, including head coach Scott Strohmeyer, who spent most of his time talking to Nebraska's coaches and Ryan Gunderson throughout the practice. That was good to see. Yeah, that was great to see. You know, uh, uh, anytime that you can get you know an entire coaching staff from one of the top overall JUCO programs in the nation on your on your campus and at practice and and talking you know talking it up with the coaches and establishing a relationship there is key. Uh, but it, it's even uh, even a, a better you know when that that program is just 60 miles down the road you know so uh, I, I like the fact that Riley and his staff have, have gone out of their way to kind of, kind of a, you know establish a relationship there they've already offered one of their players um, you know and, and it appears that uh, you know that they're going to be utilizing Iowa Western as much as they can and I know one guy Nebraska is going to have to make an evaluation on and a decision is Lorenzo Stewart now, you know he's a guy that redshirted last year uh, but was one of the faster kids in Texas coming out of high school uh, kind of fits that Oregon slot type player, even Oregon State, what they like to do. So uh, that's a guy on the current team at Iowa Western that Nebraska is definitely going to have to make a decision on here, probably by the evaluation period. Yeah, I, I think uh, fairly early on that they're going to have to take a serious look at him and decide, you know, what they're going to do. Uh, the the good thing is about Lorenzo Stewart is, you know, uh, he was initially recruited as a running back. Uh, he could potentially be, you know, kind of a, a slot wide receiver, um, you know, in, in Riley's system too, and run those jet sweeps and and uh, be utilized in that fashion as well. Um, you know, he kind of reminds you of a Jaquiz Rogers, you know, just his his build, um, but is is extremely fast. I think the key key for Stewart is going to be, you know, where are his academics at? Uh, I know that's one thing that he has to continue to work on. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the good thing about Iowa Western is they get their coaches or they get their kids uh, eligible. And generally, 90 um, percent uh, of their guys are early enrollees. January. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's that's what makes them more marketable. You see just a plethora of, you know, low three star, high two star guys go. And that's why. I mean, Iowa Western does a great job of not just getting the two or three or four big-time guys a year, but it's those role players that also end up signing Division One, And I think a lot of it, as you said, 
is the academic stuff. Uh, this is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Nate, as we move forward now and look, the next big event is the red-white game. But Nebraska continues to make offers and, and target new guys uh, before they go out on the, the spring for the evaluation period. But uh, give us a couple of new headlines and things to watch here as we look at that red-white game on April 11th. Well, yeah, um, actually leading up to the red-white game, uh, Nebraska will be hosting a couple guys uh, from Georgia. Jaleel Loggins is a linebacker out of Georgia who uh, is starting to really gain a lot of traction. Um, you know, and again, another position of need. He'll be here visiting along with his teammate who's a quarterback from the same high school, um, you know, end of March. Uh, and then, you know, the big-time names that are going to be coming in for that spring game, you're talking about, you know, Rivals 250 linebacker Dontravius Jackson out of Houston, Texas. Texas, uh, four-star quarterback Brandon Peters, uh, you know, out of Indiana, which is really the only quarterback Nebraska has offered so far. And, and uh, he just recently said that Nebraska has, has made his top five, uh, and they're sitting very well with with Peters right now. And, and landing him, I mean, that would be huge uh, for Nebraska and huge for this recruiting class because they're in on a number of, of fairly big-time wide receivers. And uh, if they can go out there and say, hey, we've got, we've got one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, that's uh, going to entice some of those receivers. Uh, to come on board too and and then you, you talk about you know a couple of 2017 guys uh, that are big time names you know five-star cornerback Darnay Holmes out of out of California part of that Keyshawn Johnson group uh, that visited a couple weeks ago and then of course Keyshawn Johnson jr. and, and senior will also be on campus for that the spring game and as uh, our old friend Phil Almacian said you get a guy back a second time that's a great sign you get him back a third time you got to almost mess it up not to get him to commit. Exactly. Yeah. You you get somebody on campus, um, you know, more than twice. Yeah. You got to screw it up to to not land those guys. So, um, and, and that's what it looks like is going to happen with uh, with Keyshawn Johnson Jr. And, and some of those other guys is uh, that this will you know spring game will be their second visit and uh, they're going to be making a, a return trip in the fall uh, to to experience game day you know atmosphere and, and kind of take in a game. So uh, that'll be their tr- third trip and uh, you know that's. That's big time. We really haven't seen anything like that for for quite a while. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition, our second show now of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Reminder, we are now on iTunes. Just search us out through Husker Online. Uh, eventually, you should be able to find us through Huskers as well. If you're not an iTunes guy, obviously, we're on HuskerOnline.com, but we do have a, a feed through Podbean. It's HuskerOnline.Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. So plenty of ways to find the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Uh, I urge you to download and tell your friends. Thanks again for listening to another edition here of the HOL podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 